I like, I do like going out and collecting data because it's, it's neutral around who is doing the things you want to do, right? If there's a hundred people making money as an artist, well, why do you think you're so special that you can't? Welcome to the Business Ownership Podcast, brought to you by Awareness Strategies, helping you navigate the waters between entrepreneurship and ownership. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Bree. Bree, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for the invitation and for having me. Excellent. I'm super excited. So give us an idea of who you are and a quick introduction to your business. What do you do? Yeah, I am an entrepreneur at heart. I have been ever since I was young. I grew up with an entrepreneurial mother. Uh, It's just, it is my blood. It's what I breathe. It's what I eat. It's what I sleep. It's all of the things. So naturally, because I'm so passionate about entrepreneurship, what I do is help other entrepreneurs become successful. So as I was in my first eight years of entrepreneurship, I had a lot of people coming to me saying, how have you done what you've done? You know, I started a fashion label with my own name from the ground up, um, all the way to dressing people like Tony Braxton, being featured on The Bachelor, LA Fashion Week, selling on Zappos.com. And uh, over the course of those eight years, realized it, I wasn't passionate about the business of fashion, but I was still passionate about entrepreneurship. So I pivoted and I had had, like I said, all these people coming to me saying, how have you done what you've done? Like, how do you know how to do all these entrepreneurial things? So I started helping entrepreneurs be successful in their businesses. And it's just continued over the last seven years. And so I really, really, really love helping female entrepreneurs create uh, financial and time freedom in their lives and through their businesses. Nice. I love it. So just out of curiosity, have you noticed that there's a difference between men going into business and women going into business or is it just personality thing or? A little bit, you know, I, I have done a lot of research around the statistics of women in business and things like that. And um, even just today, I was looking up the top 10 uh, richest people in Oklahoma and two of the 10 were women. And you look at things like 88% of female entrepreneurs never hit the six figure mark. And only 4% of female entrepreneurs get funding. Um, I just saw a statistic today that 49% of female entrepreneurs feel like they don't have enough mentors that have been there, done that to be able to help them get to those levels as women in business. So I feel like the representation simply hasn't been there as much for women. And because we haven't been able to see it as much and have those like that paradigm, we just don't, uh, we don't aim for, I think the heights that we could aim for. If we had more female role models, um, if we had more female billionaires, if we, you know, like those kinds of things. So I'm particularly passionate about helping women. I do also help men. But really, I want to turn that statistic of 88% of women never hitting six figures to 88% of women surpassing six figures and potentially even seven. Nice. Love that. So when it comes to women in business, I know there's still this kind of huge transition between, you know, it's an expectation. You're going to go out and get a job. You're going to start your company. You're going to succeed as opposed to, oh, you know, this is a fun. It's a hobby. It'll be neat if it works out. Uh, I think there's a huge kind of 
problem with that. <laughs> you know, if you want to go after it. And it, it kind of brings me back to soccer with little kids, right? You see little boys going after the soccer ball and they want to kill it. <laughs> little girls are like, hey, go ahead. You did your thing and I'm just going to sit back here. I, one, how do we give women kind of that killer instinct in business? Not that they anybody needs to die or anything like that, but it's just not taking a passive role in it and going, hey, you know, I, I have a vision. This is what I'm going to go do. And I am going to succeed. I think one of the biggest things, and actually, um, literally, as I sit here today, I've been writing my TED Talk today. And um, one of the things that I want to put in it and highlight in it is that as women, women-owned businesses actually do very well. Um, I read a statistic from 2009 that if all the women-owned businesses in America were to pool their resources, we would have the fifth highest GDP in the world. So I think one of the first things we need to do is start deconstructing these stereotypes around women being bad at sales and women being bad at business. And I hear from a lot of women, they don't like sales because sales is slimy, right? Like, I think there's just a lot of stereotypes and misunderstandings that we need to either break down or we have the opportunity to redefine for ourselves because the way we as women do sales is oftentimes different than how men do sales. And it's not bad, it's just different. And so I, I, I like to help women find their way in business and use their vision as their guiding motivating factor rather than trying to fit themselves into a mold that isn't one that works for them. Nice. Love that. So what are kind of, let's say somebody's going to work with you. What does that kind of look like? Do they need to have a plan? Do they need to have something that they're bringing to the table for you? Or is it just their imagination and, Hey, I got this thing. So women come to me at different stages. So I serve entrepreneurs and those women I tell, I say like, we go from ideation all the way through revenue generation. So I just helped a woman in one of my programs uh, this week. She was like, I know I want to start my own business. I have no idea what to do. And so we walked through all the steps and now she has a business idea and is moving forward with creating revenue streams and launching it into the world. Right. Nice. I also help solopreneurs who might come to me and say like, Hey, listen, I already have a business, but I don't have a plan. I, you know, I'm just throwing shit at the wall all day, every day. And I have no consistent revenue streams. I don't know how to grow my business. I'm on this plateau. I don't have a team. I don't know what to do. Um, and so I work with them to figure out what are those steps to grow their businesses. And then I do work with entrepreneurs that have teams and have systems and really help them elevate their vision uh, to hand more off, to be working more in their zone of genius and to inevitably be scaling up to and past seven figures. Nice. I love that. So in all of those, what would you say your favorite part of your business is? I love seeing a woman be able to start comprehending that that vision she has inside of herself is possible. And not the like, I just want to get by. Because I start with a lot of women that are like, I just want to get by. I just want my business to pay my bills. And I start working with them and saying, is getting by really the like big audacious vision that you have for yourself? And then it always comes, well, no. Okay, well, how much do you want to make? Well, and then I say, okay, but what's your real number? How much do you want to create in your business? 
And then getting them to the point where they can start believing that that's a feasibility for them. It's, I can almost see that spark and that light bulb go off in them. That's a really fun moment for me. Cause then once they believe it's possible, then it's like, all right, let's go out and create it. Let's go out and take the steps. But if you don't believe it's possible, you can take as many steps as you want all day long. And you're going to continue to create the same results. Nice. I love that. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories, one of your clients. So I have a client. She came to me as a entrepreneur. She knew she wanted to start a business. She kind of already had, she'd started an event-based business. Before coming to me, she'd been a nurse. So she was unhappy in nursing, knew she didn't want to do it, working too much. She had a young daughter, um, wasn't at home enough. She wanted to start an events-based business. So she came to me and I actually had the sales call with her and her husband um, and got to meet her daughter on the call as well, which Fun. was great. And we talked through like, okay, she wants to start an event business. So she enrolled in Profitable by Design and she starts going through the modules. And the first module is all about like, what are your values? How do you want to live your life? What's really important to you? And she realized that she did not want to run an events business at all. <laughs> she didn't want to be dealing with people that much. She didn't want to be away from home that much. She like, she just didn't. I was going to say like... of all the businesses that you're not going to be home a lot. That was yeah. probably number one. Yeah. yeah. So we started investigating, like, what are you passionate about? Where are you happiest? What excites you? Um, and she realized she was happiest in her kitchen with her dogs at her feet. So she started a dog treats company. And within the first six weeks of launching, she did $16,000 in profits, not in revenue, in profits from selling dog treats. Nice. And, she, and now that she's gotten there, I talked to her a few months back. She has, so her current company is called Sweet Pups and it's, it's dog treats. She has an idea for additional uh, brands under the like Sweet Pups label um, I'm not going to say them because they're proprietary for her, right. but she has these ideas now of how to take this one vertical and mm -hmm. turn it into a second one and a third one. I mean, she's being contacted mm -hmm. by um, pet companies all over the Detroit metro area. I mean, it's so freaking cool. And she gets to do what she loves every day, which is hang out in her kitchen with her dogs. And then she does a lot of fairs and festivals as well where she literally just gets to sit on the ground and like hang out with dogs all day at these festivals <laughs> and right. bring in, you know, $10,000, $12,000 in a single weekend. She usually mm -hmm. sells out. She'll go to festivals, I think Friday, Saturday, Sunday, usually by noon on Saturday, she's completely sold out. Nice. Well, and I love the cascading popcorn effect of if she hadn't done what she'd love to do, those, those new ideas and those new brands would never have come about because there was nowhere for them to to be seated and there's nowhere for them to grow from. So talk to me about kind of how important it is to be able to sit down with somebody like you and, and to really hash out kind of what do you want? Cause as soon as you said she starting an event business, my brain went, no, no, you don't. <laughs> of course, <laughs> I would never say that aloud to somebody who came to me that way, but um, like, what is it that's making them come up with this kind of stoic idea and then, how important it is it to come up with the real idea? So two things. The first thing I'll say is that a lot of people approach business development from the idea of like, well, what's feasible and what can I make a lot of money at? at which are great places to start. And if they don't fit and align with you, 
It's like fitting a square peg into a round hole. It's never going to work. You can't, I had a woman come to me, her top core value was freedom. She wanted to start like an online boutique or something. And I was like, do you know how many days a week you're going to have to go to the post office? Do you know how often you're going to be tied to your computer having to fulfill orders? Like, do you understand that the business model that you're going after is not going to like a month, two months, maybe six months, you're going to get into it and be like, I hate this. You're going to be stuck with all this stock and you're not going to be able to get out of it. But like, because you didn't do the preliminary foundational work. So the first thing is having someone on your side that one has experience and and has done it. And I've done it in two realms, right? I had a product-based business. Now I have a service-based business. You know, we can spot the holes. We can, we can show you where things are going to work and where things aren't going to work. The other thing I'll say too, is oftentimes we, we come at it with this idea of like, well, here's how I can make money based on what we've seen in the past. So we limit ourselves almost immediately from how we think we can make money versus what's available to us. Um, I tell people all the time, I actually know this woman. I met her several years ago. She is a professional bridesmaid. She gets paid to travel around the country and be a bridesmaid. And everyone's always like, that's not, you can't, you can't do that. That's not a real business. You can't, she is. She's been doing it for years and she makes a very good, good salary doing it for herself, right? So having someone who, for me, there are no limits on what kind of business you can start. You can make money nowadays doing anything, anything. So if you're limiting yourself from the paradigm of like, well, here are the understandings of how I can make money in the world, you might be missing an opportunity to actually go after your passionate business that you're gonna be excited about and motivated about that's actually gonna bring you more money than a business that you'd be starting thinking, well, I'm just doing it to, to make money off of it. Nice. Loving those. So what about people that are concerned that, Hey, if I go after my goals, dreams, aspirations, there's no money in it. Like I want to be an artist, but I want to be a whatever, but how do you kind of help wrap their head around that? I mean, honestly, that's, it's all, that's all paradigm stuff and belief stuff. So oft, like oftentimes, especially around occupations such as the arts, um, creative arts, things like that, we have been told since we were young, that there is no money in those areas. You can't be a professional writer. There's no money in it. You can't be a professional artist. There's no money in it. I know plenty of professional artists who make a lot of money. I know plenty of full-time writers who make a lot of money. So it's really honestly your beliefs and your paradigm. So we have to, I like, I do like going out and collecting data because it's, it's neutral around who is doing the things you want to do, right? If there's a hundred people making money as an artist, well, why do you think you're so special that you can't, you know? Like <laughs> what if your belief that you can't mm -hmm. is the only thing stopping you from actually doing it? Nice. I love that. So what are some of the other roadblocks that somebody might get into? So you've helped them, they're on the right tracks. I'm assuming at some point it's kind of the growth uh, kind of versus fulfillment <laughs> sort of thing. Like how do you get the right staff? How do you get the right, you know, um, equipment in place to be able to kind of keep up with fulfillment? How do you keep your money flow going? All yeah. of that kind of fun thing. 
I see a lot like, so from entrepreneurs to solopreneurs, I see a lot of solopreneurs getting stuck because they're trading time for money. Mm -hmm. And so in order to make more money, they have to put more time in, but at any given point, like you, we only have 24 hours in the day. And if you want to sleep, like you're, you're limited in time, <laughs> which then means you're limited in money. And so you have to figure out revenue streams that are going to allow you to generate more money without having to put more time into it. So I think that's a big one. Um, that comes with it, some operational things. Uh, operations and systems are big when you're one, going to scale your business and two, starting to bring on a team. Um, I just worked with a woman who's a speech language pathologist. They do virtual speech language pathology uh, in schools. She was only in one state um, and she was billing out, I think she was billing around 50 to $60,000 a month in one state. And she has like all these female speech language pathologists who work for her. She's not actually doing any of the work anymore. She decided she wanted to expand into do two additional states. So she came to me and we figured out, all right, how are you onboarding all of the speech language pathologists in the two new states? What does the billing process look like? How do we systemize these things? What does your new role become since you're no longer doing the speech language pathology? You're now basically the leader for these three states worth of speech language pathologists. Um, and she she's going to have a seven figure business this year because mm -hmm. she essentially tripled her business through implementing more operations. And she actually brought on the contracts for the two additional states before she even thought she was ready for it. But because we were working on everything behind the scenes, everything rolled out so smoothly. Um, and she's just had a completely seamless transition into this, like tripling her business operations. Nice. I love that. That was awesome. So I know our audience is going to want more from you. Where did they start that journey with you? Uh, my website is breesealy.com. Uh, and if you go to my website and click on the button in the top right hand corner, I do have a free resource for people about how to generate more consistent revenue in your business. So go ahead and check that out. And then if you'd like to actually engage with me, I feel like my website is like, like you can go to it, but like, you're never actually really going to talk to me through it. If you actually want to talk to me, because I like talking to people, uh, you can go, ha, find me on Instagram and my Instagram handles my name, Bree Seely. Send me a DM. I love talking with entrepreneurs. I love chatting with people. So reach out and uh, tell me about your business. Nice. I love it. So I was going to say, what are some of the things that they can start the conversation with? Because I know a lot of people go, oh, I don't want to waste your time. I... <laughs> Even if they're in business and they're going, I just want this problem solved. They just don't necessarily feel comfortable spewing on you the first time they talk to you. Totally. So what are some I ways always... they can engage? I love to hear how long people have been in business. I love to hear what inspired people to start their businesses. I always find that especially women have really interesting stories about what that impetus was um, and learning kind of who they serve, how they serve them, why they serve them. Uh, and then, yeah, what their biggest challenges or what they're kind of bumping up against right now. I like to ask women a lot. In fact, I host brunches of my colleagues and say, like, if you had one problem, that could be solved tomorrow that could help you just like skyrocket. What would, what would that be? What's that one thing that would just, if that question were answered for you could really help you move forward powerfully. Nice. I love that. Awesome. So Bri, I have to ask you at what point in life did you know that you were especially kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? And I know you were surrounded by them, but there had to be that little ignition. 
Yeah. So I started my first business when I was 23. I don't think that I knew, I did not know what I was getting into. I had no <laughs> idea. Um, I honestly think I'm reaching a new level of that right now because um, I'm concurrently writing my TED talk, working on a book proposal, traditional book proposal, and starting a women's conference. And I did text a friend the other day and I was like, am I crazy? Like, yes. what is there? <laughs> there's something wrong with me, like in the head. No. <laughs> is there, uh, what am I doing? And he's like, you have to be crazy to have the kinds of, you know, levels of an ambition and dreams that, that we have. So, exactly. uh, yeah. So I think, I think I, I realized it, uh, I would say maybe six or seven years ago when I started this business and then it just keeps, I just keep hitting new layers and levels of it of like, oh man, I'm crazier than I thought I was. What am I doing? <laughs> We love that kind of crazy. I think that kind of crazy is awesome and epic and should be encouraged at every and every turn, every possibility. That is awesome. So in your entrepreneurial journey, can you give us an example of maybe a mistake that you made that you can laugh at now or something that might have been embarrassing, but now it seems pretty funny? Yeah, uh, I would say one of the things one of the things that I was really embarrassed about for a long time was shutting down my first business. Uh -huh. Um and I had a lot just wrapped, a lot of my identity wrapped up and tied up and who I thought I was because I was a fashion designer and like all of these things. And um, I wish that I had kind of almost like disconnected from that a little sooner because um, mm -hmm. I took, I, I had about a nine month grieving period. Uh, wow. well, I mean, I was kind of concurrently starting to build this business, but I wasn't really getting much traction yet. And I kind of had to deconstruct my entire identity, my entire ego to essentially get myself back to ground zero mm -hmm. and figure out who do I want to be? How do I want to live in the world? Uh, how do I want to make an impact? So I, I, you know, I kind of wish I had asked some of those bigger questions earlier um, I've kind of gone down the path of least resistance, which was great. I still love fashion. I'm getting ready to potentially make myself an outfit for the Elton John concert next month. I don't know. Um, like I still enjoy those things, but I wish, you know, I wish I walk the, I walk people through this stuff now. And I just kind of wish that I had known those things earlier for myself and my journey. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but maybe, maybe a little bit in that I feel like I should have known. Mm -hmm. But I guess it's part of what drives me now to help women answer those hard questions and to know and to move forward with purpose um, rather than just starting a business because, you know, they can make money off of it or someone else told them that they'd be good at it. Well, and maybe we can unravel it a bit and find the funny part to it. Because I, oh, I have to wonder, is there a necessity to identify that this is who I am? Because a lot of times coaches will say, okay, who do you need to be in order to achieve that goal? And I think we delve into that as if that's kind of the only possibility. It's like, I have to be that person. Therefore, I am that person. Therefore, I will walk the talk and do the thing. And then when it doesn't work, we're devastated because, you know, we were that thing and now we're not that thing anymore. It's also one of the reasons why historically a lot of people who retire, you know, pass away shortly thereafter because they've identified so much with their occupation as opposed to, Kind of who they are. So one is how important it is it that we associate this is who I am in order to be successful, and and where do we go from there? 
I think now what I've started to do is approach it from just like broader brushstrokes of like, I don't have to be a coach or an entrepreneurial mentor to be successful. Um, in fact, I've said like, if, if the universe tells me tomorrow that this is no longer the path, like mm -hmm. great, then I will walk away from it just like I did with my fashion label. Um, so I think for me, it's more, you know, I having that future vision of myself, but not necessarily attaching it to, uh, to things that could go away tomorrow. So mm -hmm. if like, if I am an entrepreneur coach, therefore I am successful, right? Like if the entrepreneurial coach thing goes away, then I'm no longer successful. Like where, where does that leave me? So it's more like, I know what my bigger picture vision is. Like I'm here to shift the paradigm of women creating wealth in the world. So if that is through entrepreneurial coaching, great. If that is through another modality, great. As long as I know that I have kind of my big picture of like who I am and how I'm showing up in the world and I'm motivating other women to have bigger dreams and all of those things, that's what's more important to me than the identity of like being an entrepreneur coach. Nice. Love that. Love it. Love it. Brie, you've been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it immensely. Know how valuable it is. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. Awesome. Any last words for our peeps? Just keep going after it. And honestly, if you are the one of those people that's saying, I just want to get by, give yourself permission to create a bigger vision for yourself because you deserve it. Love it. Peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and join our Facebook group, Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling. We love helping you grow your business and love connecting with you. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.